60,000 is brought to you in part by RP Funding. RP Funding Inc. is licensed and can offer loans in Alabama, Arkansas, Florida, Kentucky, Louisiana, North Carolina, Ohio, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Tennessee, Texas, Virginia, and West Virginia, and is also licensed by the Mississippi Department of Banking and Consumer Finance and by the Pennsylvania Department of Banking and Securities. Office is located at 500 Wonderly Place, Suite 300, Maitland, Florida, 32751. Telephone 321-397-4420. RP Funding's nationwide mortgage licensing system ID number is 70168, and Robert Palmer's NMLS ID number is 76197. We're saving thousands with Robert Palmer. Right here on the Saving Thousands Radio Network. Special show today. A very, very special show today. Because this could be the year that you go from being a renter to being an owner. Or from going from a longtime owner to that next home. Maybe you're upsizing. Maybe you're downsizing. But whatever, there's always some intimidation along the way. There's always that little bit of doubt in our minds, you know. No matter how powerful we are with our money, there's always that little bit of a doubt, well, have things changed? How much will I need for a down payment? What goes on in the mortgage process now, maybe for your first time, or if you've done this several times, are there things that have changed? And yes, they have. All right, so you're thinking about getting into that buying process, and that's what today's show is all about. So if you have friends, you have relatives, whatever, and they're thinking about buying a house. They were at your home over the holidays and they said, you know, maybe it's time for us to quit making the landlord rich. Maybe it's time for us to start putting some money on us. Well, you can do it. It's easier than you think. And after today's show, after you listen to Robert Palmer, you're going to pick up so much information in today's show that you'll be ready to take the first step. Because as you listen to this show, you know that it's all about empowering you. We're not trying to sell you anything, no seminar coming up, not trying to get you to buy a set of CDs or DVDs. Nope. We're just trying to pass along some very, very good information to consumers in the hopes that everybody will become better ninjas of their money, become better handlers of their money. And in that way, the economy will always, always improve. Sounds like a really big task, doesn't it? Well, let's get started. Let's go back to the beginning of the process of buying a home. You know, Rob, so many people, this is a question I get asked on the street all the time. You know, hey, Robert, is it a good time to buy a home? Is it a right time to buy a home? And the way I always answer this is, it's always a good time to buy a home, but is it the right time for you to buy a home, right? And that's really what you have to understand is, you know, is it the right time for you? Because the market doesn't matter. The overall, you know, whether rates are low or high or prices are high or low, these things come and go. But what really matters is, are you ready? Are you at a point in your life where you're ready to take on the 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 wonders and the there's some downsides to home ownership and we want to talk honestly about that and I think a lot of people in our industry just come out and it's oh it's all great everyone should be a homeowner everyone should buy a house and that's just not the case you know there are situations where you're, you're better off to stay renting and so I want to mm-hmm. kind of talk about that for the next couple of minutes help people understand you know what is the right decision to make what are the downsides of each what are the upsides of each so you know let's start with somebody who maybe is renting today sure you know they've never owned their own home most likely their parents owned a home. Right. You know, maybe they're a little against home ownership because they saw it damage their parents' lives. Yes, sir. You know, we saw a lot of people go through a tough time in 2008, 2009, 2010. You know, maybe you're one of those people where your parents maybe got divorced. Your parents fought about homes. You know, you saw that tear someone else's family apart because of the downturn. And so, again, you've got to make the right decision to get in there. So the downsides to renting and kind of the upsides are right now you don't really control your fate. You know, that landlord can come in there tomorrow and kick you. I've had this happen. Mm-hmm. You know, we, uh, my wife and I, Jill, were in a house. We loved it. We were renting it. And uh, this is before we were married. And, you know, we, we really want to stay there, but the lease was up and the landlord thought he was going to sell it for a ridiculous amount of money. You know, so he ran us off and he sure. ended up not selling it and going back to rent it. But we still had to pack up and move. We didn't have a choice. You know, we had to get out of it. We had no control because we weren't the owners. Uh, the other big thing is those rental increases, you know, and everybody's seeing that right now. You know, the market is hot. Landlords are realizing they can get top dollar for rental because a lot of people aren't buying right now. They're renting instead. And so people are seeing rent increases. You know, maybe mm-hmm. you got in there in the first year it was affordable. And now at the renewal, all of a sudden they're going to jack your rent up considerably because they know they got you, mm-hmm. right? You got to go hire a moving truck. You know, you got to fill out your forms at the post office. Like everybody really hates to move. And so they know they can raise your rent up on you and you're most likely going to stay because you don't want to go through that hassle. And you know, the other thing that I look at that we've discussed often in radio programs over the years, and that is loss of control over a lot of things. One, that deposit, you don't know if you're ever going to get it back. Absolutely. Likely you won't. The other thing is you can't put a nail in the wall. You can't have your music the volume you want it. You can't have guests for extended periods of time before that landlord's going to come back and say, you got people living here? What's going on? All right, yeah. You, you can paint the walls the color you want, and they come back and keep your deposit because it wasn't the color that was there when you moved in. You probably made it look nicer. You know, we, we see this happen. It's insane. So that's all important stuff to consider. 
And, you know, some of the positives are, though, there is more freedom. You know, if, if a year later your job, you got to pack up and leave, mm-hmm. at worst you're looking at maybe a couple months of rent you know, that you have to pay to break that lease. Where when you own a home, you're tied to it. There's no oops, do over, I want to move. You know, the, some of the other negatives or, or downsides or things to consider is there's other financial obligations. Right now, your landlord probably takes care of, in a lot of cases, yard maintenance. You know, we see that mm-hmm. happen. Uh, if the air conditioning breaks, if the roof leaks, you know, if the, the refrigerator goes out or if the, the dishwasher breaks, you know, the landlord is going to take care of most of that stuff for you. So these are expenses that can that can weigh on you as a homeowner. And so you've really got to think about that, that from a responsibility standpoint. You know, there's property taxes to pay. There's homeowner's insurance to maintain. There's a mortgage payment to make every month. So these are all things you have to weigh at and look at. And so when we talk to people about is it the right time to buy a home, you know, we don't want to just always talk about the positives. We want to educate people to make a good decision. You know, what are the good sides? What are the bad sides? I think some of the absolute best pieces are, one, you get to lock in that payment forever. You know, that's one of the beauties. There's, right. There are no rental increases when you own that home. If you do a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage, uh, that payment is going to stay the same. It's going to fluctuate a little bit as the property taxes go up. You know, maybe your insurance goes up a little bit, but the base mortgage payment is going to stay the same. So even if, if that home doubles in value, you know, think about that, Rob. You know, you buy a you buy a $200,000 house today, and in 20 years, it's worth 300000 Right. Well, your mortgage payment is still based on the original 200000 you know, because you lock that in and your interest rate is still the same. Where if you're renting, you know, your rent's going to have increased at least 3% a year during awesome. that entire time frame. You know, if it, you know my, my grandmother, I look at her. She's got her little house. You know, she never borrowed more against it. She never took cash out of it, you know, and it, it's almost paid for now. And, you know, it's worth like three times what she paid for it, even with the boom and the bust, and it's almost paid off. Mm-hmm. And when you can wake up one day and that mortgage is completely paid off and you're right getting around retirement age, owning a home free and clear when you go to retire uh, is a huge benefit over someone trying to retire who's still renting. And when you look at the fluctuations in rents, we're seeing it today, and that is because of the bust a few years ago, and then a lot of people getting into the apartments, more apartments are being built and more rentals, and the prices are skyrocketing now, well beyond the escalation of home prices. Absolutely, and especially here in Central Florida. You know, in the Orlando and Tampa corridor, we are seeing uh, home prices go up, but we're also seeing rent prices go up even more yes. because we also have the, that tourist or that, that out-of-state pressure as well. You know, when, when mm-hmm. you know, if you think about in a lot of places, the developers, they'll build, a, they'll build an apartment complex for the locals. Well, here we fight with their building. They'd rather build a hotel or a short-term rental community because we have all this influx of tourists all across the I-4 corridor. So all of this puts more and more pressure on rents. And the other thing, Rob, is I don't think I've ever met somebody that said, I want to rent for the rest of my life. Right. Right. It, it's more of a, I'm not ready to buy yet. Or, you know, I'm not ready to be a homeowner yet. But I don't think anybody just says, I never want to be a homeowner. I want to be 75 years old, 70 years old, and I still want to be renting. Mm-hmm. Right? I, don't think I think people just think, oh, I'll buy later in life. And one of the problems is the more you put it off, the higher home prices will be, the higher interest rates will be, the higher payments will be, and the less number of years you'll have had to build equity. You know, right. if, you, if you buy a home at 20 years old on a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage, when you turn 50, you're having a mortgage-burning party. Mm-hmm. You're done. You know, if you wait until you're 40 to buy that same home, when you turn 50, you've got a huge mortgage left. And now you're going all the way to 70 before you get to have that mortgage-burning party. So it's almost like, you know, we, when we talk about investments— you know, the, the sooner you can start investing in your 401k, the better you are lo- longer in life. So if, if you know one day you are going to buy a home, you know, then then why not go ahead and do it now? And I think one of the big why nots that I respect is if you're not really sure what, what area you're going to end up in, right? Maybe yeah. you're in Orlando today or you're in Tampa today and you think, you know what, I'm, I'm here for a couple more years. I really want to go to Texas. I want to go to New York. You know, if, if you know this is not the area you want to be in long term, then I get that. I think renting is the right yeah. smart, the smart choice, the right choice there. You know, if your career is one that you see a big change, like maybe, you know, maybe you're a, a first year uh, doctor, you know, a first year attorney. So you're not making a lot of money today, but you expect mm-hmm. that, you know, you expect in the next three to four years to have a significant change in your income. Well, that's going to significantly change what kind of house you can buy, right? You know, <laughs> if, if you're making 30000 today working for the state attorney's office and you expect to be a, a $200,000 a year attorney in the near future, then I think maybe renting does make sense for mm-hmm. that person. So again, it's looking at your financial situation, but the sooner you do make the commitment to buy, uh, the better you are long-term. Because we all know one day we do want to own, and the closer you get to owning and paying off is the sooner you get in the game. You know, Robert, two of the things you taught me years ago when we first started doing radio together in Central Florida was there's two more pluses that just jump right out like an elephant in the room. One is I can't think of anybody I've ever known in my 61 years on this planet that ever was comfortable in their life that was still renting. Absolutely. Maybe they started Absolutely. off, right. but they owned a home, so they own it. Maybe it's a small one, then they get some kids, they get a bigger one, bigger one, bigger one. But at the end of the day, they're better off because they've got the tax, which we'll talk about in another series. 
But the other thing, the number one rule in all the shows I do in Central Florida on retirement, number one rule is make sure you don't have a housing payment the day you decide to turn in and get the gold watch. If you've still got a $1,000 a month payment, you are sunk because where's the money going to come from? You get the new home in your 20s, it's paid off by your 50s. You sail into retirement only deciding what kind of rod and reel you want to buy and what kind of boat. That's true. You know, the other thing we look at is there's always an opportunity to retain that house as a rental. You know, say you do buy a home today and it's not the perfect home for you. You maybe do expect to make more money in the future. There's always the option to keep that home, put a tenant in there, and now you have possibly two paid off homes when you go to retire. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's a great situation. I've got a good friend who's an attorney and he owns like 50 or 60 properties now just by doing this and living in a home for a while and then moving on to the next home and acquiring rental properties. He could retire tomorrow just from the rental income he receives Mm -hmm. on all these properties. So that's an exciting thing to consider. I think the big takeaway is, again, it's not about the market. The right time to buy has nothing to do. I mean, it does. Interest rates and home prices affect it. But at the end of the day, that's nothing compared to your personal place in life. Are you at a point where it's the right time to buy? And if you commit to the idea that one day you are going to be a homeowner, which I think we all have to commit to that idea, the question then becomes, when is it right for me? Right? And I think a lot of people, they're scared of the process. And one of the reasons we do these educational shows is to try to educate people that buying a home and getting a mortgage is not as scary as maybe you've heard it is. And uh, But two, it's making the decision for you. When is it right for you? When is the right time for you to be a homeowner? And that's what's going to trump everything else. You know, where are you in your family life? Where are you in your work life? Where are you in your financial life? And as soon as you can do it, I think a great decision is to go ahead and get out there and buy a home. Well, if you're just tuning in, we are Saving Thousands with Robert Palmer. And today's show is one that you'll probably want to listen to over and over again, especially if you're in the market to buy a home. I think a lot of people, Robert, will sit on the sidelines and just go ahead and rent because it's simple. They don't have to think about it. You know, they know the rules. Pay the rent by a certain date or move on. It's pretty simple. I think that a lot of people have the money to buy a home. I know they've got the ability to get a mortgage, but it's just something that through the education of our lives, they just haven't been taught. And that's why I'm so glad that you're teaching today, Robert, because I think that of all the shows we do during the year, the home buying show, the simple, basic how to buy a home show is probably the one that people really, really turn on to most. I mean, we talk about so many things over the 52 weeks. We put out hundreds of radio shows a year. And yet, I think that when people are thinking about the ultimate purchase, and that would be to become a homeowner, I think a lot of folks are a little bit scared because they don't have the knowledge. Knowledge is power. We say that every show. But without the knowledge of how to buy a home, the only thing most people know is they see a, a real estate sign in the front yard, they see a phone number, they make the phone call. But from then on, boy, they're on pins and needles. You know, they're walking on eggshells when there's no reason to be. So some people just simply say, well, to heck with it. We'll just keep renting. Others are going to learn from this show. They may listen to the show over and over again in the archives until they feel empowered. Or they could simply call our office and have the conversation without any obligation. So if you joined us a little bit late, folks, we talked about when is the right time for you to buy a home. And as Robert explained, the time is right when you're ready, when you finally make the decision that you want to give up the landlord, you want to buy the home, you've looked at your finances, and then you're ready to move ahead. So these are the parts coming up that most people are very unfamiliar with, and therefore they're kind of scared of. So Robert, we've kind of made the decision with our significant other that we're going to buy a house. Where do we go from here? Yeah, so at this point, you know, Rob, people have, they've gone through and they've looked at their budget and they've said, you know what, buying a home is right for us. And then they've contacted us or contacted another lender and they've gotten their pre-approval and pre-qualification and hopefully been through some documentation there and have a truly strong, you know, reliable, viable pre-approval and not just one written on a piece of paper with no, no nothing to back it up, right? And now you're on to buying a home. So you, you've most likely contacted a local real estate agent, you've got someone in your corner, and now it's time to go out there and start looking at houses. And a couple of the big things I want people to understand is that one, mortgage rates fluctuate regularly, right? Mm-hmm. So, so if you called us, uh, if you called in a month ago and got pre-approved, got that pre-qualification or pre-approval, maybe rates are lower now and you can get more money. Maybe rates are higher now and you can get less money. So, one, it's important to stay in regular contact with your lender during the home shopping process to understand how any potential movements in interest rates are impacting your home buying ability. Uh, we had a period in uh, in mid two thousand thirteen where interest rates skyrocketed in a one-month period, and people's buying power was cut sometimes by 15 or 20%. You know, it was a very significant move. We had other times in 2014 and early 15 
where interest rates dropped. And now all of a sudden people's buying power was improved. Also, when the Federal Housing Administration lowered their mortgage insurance premiums, uh, this increased people's buying powers. So maybe someone who in uh, in November of 2014 could only qualify for 200 in January of 15, they could qualify for 240 with the same monthly payment because mm-hmm. of some of the changes that happened. So it's important to stay in constant communication with your mortgage company while you're in the home shopping process. It's also very important to pay attention to three other factors in your monthly payment because these do affect your qualification, your ability to be approved. This is the property taxes, the homeowners association dues, mm-hmm. and the homeowners insurance. All right, so let's start with property taxes. If you're buying a home with very expensive property taxes, this can affect your ability to qualify for that amount. So a $200,000 house A has yearly property taxes of $2,000 and $200,000 house B has property taxes of $4,000. That's a significant difference and may affect your ability to qualify for that home. So as you're getting your mortgage pre-approval and you're talking to your lender, you should understand the tax and insurance numbers they're using in your qualification. And if you see you're getting significantly outside of that range, so if, if your loan officer says, all right, $200,000 house in Central Florida, the average tax bill for a $200,000 house is $2,000. So if you go fall in love with a house with a $4,000 a year tax bill, maybe because it has a special assessment or one of these CDDs because they just put in the roads and and they tax it on, this stuff happens. And so if that's the case, that can really affect your ability to qualify. So you need to go back then to your mortgage company and say, okay, I found a house I'm in love with, but the taxes are significantly higher. Do I still qualify? All right, the next is homeowners association. Okay, so we assume most most houses do not have a big homeowner association dues. Maybe 100 bucks a year, 120 bucks a year for the average house. So we're gonna we're gonna factor that in. Now, if you go fall in love with some gated community with a 24-hour guard out front and a movie theater built in and and six <laughs> Olympic-sized swimming pools, right? Yeah. Now all of a sudden those and and they take care of the yard maintenance for you and cable TVs included, you know, and all these different things. Your homeowners association dues can be significantly higher. So again, if you're spending 100 or 200 dollars on on homeowners association. That's going to reduce the amount of home you can buy. That's going to impact your ability to qualify. Mm-hmm. So, again, you have to have these conversations with the mortgage company. Most people don't think about this. So, again, the average $200,000 house you can qualify for, but the $200,000 house that has double the taxes and and 300 bucks a month in HOA dues because it's the fanciest neighborhood on the planet, you may not qualify for because that's like buying a $300,000 house yeah. that's not in that neighborhood. And then finally is the insurance. So, again, insurance, we're going to look at kind of the average cost of insurance across the board for that value of house. However, if you go fall in love with a house that's in a flood zone, flood insurance is very expensive. Big controversy in Florida. You know, if you fall in love with a house that has aluminum wiring, you know, if you fall in love with a house that has polybutylene piping, Mm -hmm. if you fall in love with a house that hasn't had its roof replaced in 42 years, right? All of these things, a frame house versus a block house. Most houses in Florida are built of block. There are some that are made of frames. If you go fall in love with a manufactured home, these things will make insurance Mm -hmm. skyrocket. And because the monthly qualifying payment is made up of the principal and interest on the mortgage, the property taxes, the homeowner's insurance, and the HOA dues, we have to qualify you based on all of that. And it's, it's kind of crazy. Even if the lawn maintenance and the cable TV are included, you may be thinking, well, that's going to save me money, so it shouldn't count against me. Well, the problem is you're not required to have cable TV, you know, unless you're in that neighborhood, right? So right. the idea is if things got bad and you lived in a normal neighborhood, you would just cut your cable off and you would start cutting the yard yourself. But if you live in this neighborhood where that's included in your monthly dues, you can't call the homeowners association and say, hey, I'm having tough times here. I, I need to cut my own yard. It's not an option. So that monthly fixed homeowner association, monthly fixed taxes and monthly fixed insurance all plays into your mortgage payment, which pays in your qualification. So this is why I recommend to clients as you're out looking at houses, communicate with your loan officer. Ask them to give you an updated you know, payment scenario. Ask them to check your qualification if you're looking at any type of home that falls outside of the averages and standards when it comes to taxes, insurance, and HOA dues. What is your suggestion and your your hints and advice to people who say, well, if RP funding says I qualify for 300 that's the house I want, and that's what I'm going to go after, instead of a 200 or a 250 where they might be a little bit more comfortable and be able to buy a couple of pizzas on a Friday night or take that cruise this next summer because they're not just saying, all right, we got to make sure we work 40 hours to get that house payment in. Do you ever advise people on that? Yeah, we, we try to have a lot of conversations about budgeting. Right? Just because you can qualify for it doesn't mean that's what we're going to put on your qualification letter. Uh, because, again, that's exactly what happens. You know, it's, it's the first thing we're going to talk about is what are you comfortable with? You know, before we talk about what we think you qualify for, how much of a house payment do you think you'd be comfortable with? Oh, well, Robert, I think we'd be, we're comfortable with twelve or 1400 
well, good, you may qualify for 1800 or 2000 but let's start with what you're comfortable with. Because again, we don't know your habits. You know, how often do you eat out? Do you pay for daycare? You know, so when, when you're being qualified for a mortgage, we only look at your debt, you know, because you can't handle, you can't stop that. The idea is anything you could turn off. You know, if, well, if your wife loses her job or if the husband loses his job, then you could pull the kid out of daycare and take care of him yourself. You could sure. cut off the cable. You know, you, you can quit eating out. And so we don't, we don't factor those into qualification because we know if you cut your lifestyle back to the basics, you can make the payment. But is that what you want in life? Yeah. Do you want to be in a situation, you know, where all your income is going into your house and you can't afford to do things you like to do? So I always like to start the conversation with, you know, with how much can you afford? And a lot of home builders hate this. You know, they, they want their preferred mortgage company to tweak you up as high as you can because they want to sell you every option and everything they can. Sure. You know, we really like to understand with our client what's going to make you comfortable. And then, again, watch out for the gotchas like higher taxes. Mm-hmm. higher Because if you tell me you want $1,200 payment and all of a sudden the taxes are 300 a month instead of 200 a month, well, guess what? Your payment's going up by 100 bucks. Yep. And even though you still qualify for it, and this can be a trap because – so if you only qualify for 1200 a month, and you fall in love with a house that's 13, you come back to me, we have to say no, because you just don't qualify. Yeah. But if you do qualify for the more money, but you were just trying to stay conservative, now you have a harder time trying to convince your family and everybody else, well, well, honey, the mortgage company will give us the loan for 1300 a month. Why aren't you comfortable with it? Well, dear, I think we should really stick around 1200 Well, we can get approved for 1300 though, and the house we love is 1300 and we see a lot of people fall into this trap, and they end up buying more house than they're comfortable with. They can afford it, but now they have to make lifestyle changes. And not everyone's willing to make those lifestyle changes, which is how people can get in trouble with owning a home. So they've gotten to this part of the full equation. Can you help them find a preferred realtor in the market that's going to help them out with, oh, well, there may be a beltway go through your backyard in three years. Yes, they're going to build a Walmart on the other side of that retaining wall. Uh, and, and school districts and things like that. Can you work with the finest realtors in Florida? Yeah, absolutely, Rob. You know, it's so important to have that right real estate agent. And we see this. There are there are so many good agents out there, but there's so many bad as well. And a lot of people have told me, Robert, I've listened to your radio show. I feel like you hate real estate agents. No, I love real estate agents. I work with real estate agents every day. What I hate is real estate agents who don't take their profession seriously. And it's a small percentage, but it's out there. And it's out there in every industry. There's mortgage people who don't take it seriously. There's doctors and lawyers who don't take their profession seriously. And with real estate, it is so important that you work with that right person and do some research on them. Don't just pick up the phone and and choose an agent because their name happens to be on a yard sign. You know, do check their Google reviews. Go online and read about them. You know, ask us for our opinion for your local real estate agent. Working with the right real estate agent will make all the difference in the world because they understand these things. And it's not even about volume. It's about, it's not about who sells the most houses. It's, It's about who's willing to work hard for you and who considers themselves a student of this industry. You know, who's out there educating themselves? Who's keeping up with trends in the market and understanding the way insurance works? You know, there are agents who regularly attend seminars on homeowners insurance, and they attend uh, they attend seminars put on by the local tax collector's offices to understand trends in, in property taxes so they can be better representatives of their clients. And there's other real estate agents who don't care at all, and they just want to get that commission check. And so you've got to work with the right one. And, you know, we've got a great list of agents on our pledge directory. Uh, our loan officers all you know who they enjoy working with and who they've seen have the absolute best uh, experience with their customers. The other big thing we do, we've been doing this for about a year now, Rob. So whenever we close a loan, we ask the, we ask the client to rate us. We also ask the real estate agent to rate us. But then we turn around and we ask the client to rate the real estate agent. Wow. Okay. So now I don't make these public. I don't, sure. I'm not going to make this public. But we do use it to recommend an agent. So if you call RP Funding and say, hey, who's your highest rated agent in an area, I will tell you that. I'm not going to tell you who the low ones are, you know, and I won't tell you who ranked where, but we will share that data because we close thousands of loans a year. And so I would say probably, I probably have ratings now on 30% of the real estate agents in Central Florida. Very good. And that's powerful knowledge, and it's unbiased. You know, if you think about it, if you look at, like, reviews on Zillow, well, some people may have their friends and family and uncles and aunts go on there and give them positive reviews, because Zillow has no mechanism to ensure the people leaving the reviews are actual clients. Right. We do. You know, we know, hey, Rob Newton just closed on a mortgage with RP Funding buying a home from Sally Smith, the realtor. He's in a pretty good position to rate Sally for mm-hmm. us, and we know it's legitimate. This isn't a, an angry ex-spouse who's trying to bash that agent on the internet. This isn't a, a friend or family member trying to boost their reviews. This is honest reviews from customers who we know just did business with that agent. And again, we don't make it public. But we will use that information when we make a recommendation to someone because we do have clients that will call us to get pre-approved and say, okay, guys, well, I don't know a local real estate agent. Can you recommend one? And we make those recommendations based on those reviews that we've collected. Well, I hope it's sounding easier and easier about buying a home. Robert puts everything 
right down at the tabletop level. He can make the most complicated things sound very, very simple. And, you know, in the end, they are. I think a lot of times things look apprehensive. They just look giant like a mountain until we climb it. Then we're at the top and we look down and say, that wasn't so bad. Well, you're going to find out that almost everything that you do in finance is very easy once you've gotten to the end of the road. And once you've gotten to the end of the road, maybe you had a flat tire or two along the way. Maybe you had to stop. But whatever happened in your journey, you learned from it, right? And so we have this program. We have the Saving Thousands radio show that educates you, that empowers you, and really puts you in the driver's seat, so to speak. Well, we also have SavingThousands.com. Yeah, similarity there. SavingThousands.com is the radio show on steroids. It really is because what we can do in an hour savingthousands.com is always there 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 with, um, on-demand segments of shows. You can go back and listen to these radio shows all you want by date or by topic. You can also read articles associated with the radio shows we've done and general interest articles as well about, uh, oh, mortgages, home loans, Uh, any type of things that you might be delving into financially, even credit cards, installment loans, car loans, you name it. It's all there at savingthousands.com. Like I say, from the mortgage to maybe that personal loan to buy a house, it's all in there. Yeah, the good, the bad, and the ugly. But today we're talking about the home buying process. And the next stage is something, Robert, I love to call detail, detail, detail. Ask me again, detail. And that's what it's all about because there's the information gathering process and then there's the folks that have to call you and say, okay, we have this, we have this, we have this. Now, maybe we don't have that. Or maybe there's a page missing. Or maybe this address doesn't match this address. All these things that the documentation people have to be forensic scientists almost into the world of the mortgage. It's really fun for some people. Yeah, the documentation process and documentation stage of getting a mortgage is the most important because that's really the key of what your mortgage is based on. You know, the the credit report we pull up front, it's easy for us to analyze that and make a good decision there. The documentation phase is the toughest for us and the toughest for the client because everyone's situation is so different. All right, every credit report that we get looks the exact same. Mm-hmm. Guess what? Every tax return we get, do not. Cool. Some have Schedule C, some have Schedule E, some have 1120S. Some have corporate returns. Some have, you know, child care, all these different, you know, some have a, a Schedule A where they write off unreimbursed business expenses, all these different forms. Some people get uh, get paid once a week. Some people get paid once a month. Some people get paid twice a month, every two weeks. You know, some people get uh, a W-2 on this form. Some people's companies take out their health insurance on their W-2. Others put in a different type of account so it stays on their W-2. All these different things. Some companies clearly show 401k contributions as a deduction on the W-2. Others just give us the net amount after the 401k contribution. Mm-hmm. Some people's bank statements, they flow one direction. Other people's bank statements flow a different. <laughs> you know, some people's bank statements have pages that say this page intentionally left blank. The only way we know it says that is if you give it to us, right? <laughs> so right. documentation is so difficult because every one situation is different. Some people will give us an online printout. Some people will give us a printout from the bank teller. Some people will give us an e-statement. Some people will give us a paper statement. There are so many different ways to receive this information. And what happens is the information we receive can then lead to requests for more information because something pops up or something was inadequate. So I would say one of the biggest complaints that happens in the mortgage industry is people feel like they have to give us the same documentation over and over again. So I want to really talk about that today. I want people to understand Mm -hmm. we're not asking for the same documentation over and over and over again. We're making sure that you're giving us the right documentation, okay? We're making sure that the documentation you're giving us meets the requirements we need. So let's go through some examples. Yeah. All right, example number one I already kind of touched on. This is when it comes down to bank statements. So people will have a bank statement that will say one of two, two of two, three, or sorry, one of five, two of five, three of five, four of five, five of five. And maybe two of five and four of five are the back of the bank statement and they say this page is blank or it says there's nothing on it. And so customers won't give that to us. And they'll say, well, why do you need that page? It's blank. Well, I don't know that it's blank because I haven't seen it yet. You know it's blank. I don't. And so for all we know, page two could have a loan on there that you didn't tell us about or didn't want us to know about. Mm-hmm. Or page two could have a brand new debt you just took out, and that's where your down payment money is coming from. We have to know these things. So it's very important that we have every single page of the bank statement because we have to know that everything was there and accurate and that we have all the information we need. Right? If you do a bank printout online, a lot of times your name is not on it. Your bank name may not even be on it. Your account number is not on it. 
How do I know that's your bank statement? And again, we have to underwrite our loans. We're required by government regulations to gather documents to the lowest common denominator. And there are people out there who try to commit fraud, right? So if you yes, give me a is. bank statement with no name and no account number and no bank name on it, I'm not saying you're trying to commit fraud, but that could be you could have actually given me your wife's bank statement or your cousin's bank statement or your nephew's bank statement. I, I don't know your name's not on it. And I don't know which bank it came from. And so this now causes us to go back to you and say, sir, I need another bank statement. Now, we've worked really hard with our staff to do a better job and always do a better job of explaining why. Because a lot of mortgage companies don't. Right. They say, oh, I need your bank statement. I gave you my bank statement. I need your bank statement. Well, I need your new bank statement because your last bank statement was missing this and this and this. And here's why it didn't meet our guidelines. And so this can lead to that feeling. The other thing is documents can expire, right? So when we start the Mm pre-qualification process, you give me a pay stub today. Well, then we get down to the closing table. Four months later, I need an updated pay stub from you. Well, I already gave you my pay stub. Well, something may have changed. Your hours may have gotten cut. You may have gotten a raise. These things happen. So we have to keep updated documentation. Maybe you applied for your loan in December 2014, and now we're closing on your loan in March 2015. Well, guess what? You have since received your 2014 W-2. I couldn't Mm -hmm. ask you for it December 14. It didn't exist yet. But now because time has gone on, we're later in the process when you're ready to actually buy a house. Now your 2015 W-2 is available. Now I need it. So this all plays in the documentation process. And this is why it's so difficult because there is no standard set. Timing Mm -hmm. makes a difference. The information makes a difference. Let's say uh, during the process, you find out that you have a child out there you didn't know about. And now you have to start paying child support. When you applied for the loan, you didn't know about it. It wasn't on your pay stubs. Now you give me an updated pay stub and it shows a child support deduction. Now I'm going to have to ask you for more documentation. I'm now going to need documentation on how much child support you pay and who you pay it to and for how long you'll have to pay it. Mm -hmm. You know, all these things can be triggered by another piece of documentation we get. So it's important to understand we're not losing your documentation. We're not just trying to frustrate you by asking for more and more and more documentation. Something we've gotten has triggered the need for something new or something we've gotten does not meet the standards we need in that your name is missing, the bank name is missing, maybe your employer's name is missing, maybe it's not legible, and then the other situation you run into, Rob, is so maybe uh, maybe you give us your tax returns, and then we try to verify that those tax returns are accurate with the IRS. Huge problem we had in 2006 and 7, 4 and 5, is that people were doctoring up tax returns. Yes, indeed. It's very easy to do. You go down and buy yourself a copy of TurboTax, and you can give me a tax return that says anything you want it to, right? Mm-hmm. It's just a piece of software. You can go into TurboTax and put that you are Dr. Rob Newton, and you made $22 million last year. Sure. And you can hand me a, a well-printed 1040 that looks like it's legitimate. So we have to verify the authenticity of the tax returns with the IRS. Well, if you just filed, it may not be in the IRS system yet. So you give me a tax return. I think everything's okay. Then the IRS comes back and says, no record found. We don't have that tax return. Now, I'm not going to automatically assume that you're giving me a fake tax return. I'm going to assume that the IRS has not had a time to process it. So there's two things we can do there. We can rate, wait for the IRS to catch up and process it, or we can now go back and maybe look at your years before tax returns. Sure. So, okay, Rob, you gave me your, your 13 and 14 tax returns. I just got notification back from the IRS that the 2014 tax returns have not been processed. So why don't you give me your 2012 tax returns, and I'll use your 2012 and 2013 tax returns to qualify you. Well, Robert, why didn't you ask me for the 2012s up front? Why are you asking for them now at the last minute? I didn't know I needed them up front. I didn't know that you waited to the last minute to file your tax returns, right? So these situations do happen, and people get frustrated sure. because they think the deal is done. They think they're ready to go, and then we come back and ask for more documentation. And it's important that you understand as a home buyer that in most cases, the request for additional documentation is triggered by something else you gave mm-hmm. us. So the more documentation you can give us up front, and the sooner we can find out what's going on, the sooner we can figure things out, the less problems we're going to have. You give us a bank statement, and all of a sudden there's a huge deposit on there, right? You're running along and you have $1,000 a month in your bank average. And then the day before the statement came out that you gave me, there's a $20,000 deposit. I'm going to have to ask you where that money came from. Because if you borrowed it, there's a problem. We have to know about that. You can't use it for your down payment. If someone else gave you that money because you're going to buy the house for them and this is some kind of straw buyer scam, we have to know about that too. Yeah. You know, All this is triggered by people who have tried to beat the system in the past. So the sooner you tell us, oh, well, that was a gift from my Aunt Sally. We're very close. She wants to help me buy my house. No problem. But we're going to need proof that it actually came from Aunt Sally. We're going to need proof that Aunt Sally had the 20000 to give to you. We're going to need Aunt Sally to sign a gift letter saying that she is, in fact, your aunt and she did, in fact, give you that money. Because guess what? People have tried to cheat the system in the past. Mm-hmm. They went out and they borrowed $20,000, knew they couldn't use that for their down payment. So then they tell us it's a gift. Oh, that's a gift. A gift from who? A gift from uh, Aunt Sally? Okay, well, I need proof that Aunt Sally gave you the gift. Oh, we, it was cash. Okay. Well, then just give me proof that Aunt Sally took the 20000 cash out of her bank account. Oh, Aunt Sally kept it in her mattress. 
okay, so there's absolutely no paper trail at all that Aunt Sally gave you this money. We at that point have to assume that the money came from somewhere else. Right. You borrowed that money off a credit card. You took out a loan from a loan shark. Whatever it is, this is what we deal with. And so I want everyone to understand the documentation phase. But on the flip side, for some people, it's super easy. You know, if you've been on the same job for a couple of years and none of these gotchas pop up, then you can give me your documentation one time and I'll never come back to you for the document. Mm-hmm. So what we're talking about here today is kind of that worst case scenario. Because my hope is everyone listening picks up on one little thing and says, oh, I just got hit with child support. Let me make sure I tell my lender about that. Oh, my down payment's coming from my aunt and she keeps her money in a safe. That may be a problem. Let me talk about that now. You know, by knowing what these worst case scenarios are, because all mortgages are not this tough to document. Right. It's only the ones that have the gotcha that something goes wrong. I'd say maybe 5% of our mortgages have this kind of excessive documentation. 95% mm-hmm. of people, it's it's clean. The two bank right. statements are perfect. Their name's right there. The bank name's right there. The account number's right there. The average balance is there. The money's been in their savings account for both months. It's no problem. They're W-2 at a job. They're 40 hours a week. Their tax returns are a 1040 easy. They've been filed with the IRS. Everything is perfect. You will have an easy time in the documentation stage. Mm-hmm. If you haven't filed tax returns, you file all kind of crazy business returns. You know, you have uh, income that varies all over the place. You have weird large deposits where you move money from account to account to account. All this is going to cause problems during the documentation stage. So something to think about as you do look to buying a house. The home buying process continues with Robert Palmer in just a moment. But I did want to uh, give you a little bit of information that you're going to need when you get into a home in this new era. And when I say new era, what I'm talking about, Robert, is, of course, TRID. And that brings a smile to Robert's face. And I'll tell you why in a minute. Because when you start the uh, home buying process now compared to before last October, the word TRID is going to come up. Well, TRID is simply a series of new guidelines, of new laws, of new regulations that affect mortgage companies and how they document loans, how they go through loans, the information that you as the borrower get at certain deadlines. This has all kind of changed. And when the change began to come in 2015, a lot of banks, a lot of mortgage companies began the standard line of, well, you know, we could close quicker, but you got those tread regulations handed down by the government, but those tread regulations get in the way. Well, they really don't have to. The tread regulations are very easy if you have a process like those put in place by RP Funding, Robert's company. Now, Robert doesn't blow his own horn a lot, but I will. See, what happened was when TRID was announced, the folks at RP Funding were working loans the old way as they were supposed to under the guidelines. But at the same time, this is all pre-TRID, they were working the TRID process on current loans. So as time went on and that October deadline was approaching for the start of TRID, the people at RP Funding knew the TRID system so well that it was no change. It, It was no problem. It was kind of like parking in the space next to your regular parking space, but you know the way there. I mean, it's that simple for them. So when the first loan application came about in early October, okay, this happened to be a distressed loan from South Florida, Boca Raton, that a mortgage company couldn't close in time. They couldn't get it done. So here it was, day one, just as TRID took effect, the application was given to RP Funding. Okay, it didn't take 60 days, 70 days, 80 days, as a lot of these mortgage companies were quoting at the time and still do. It took 10 days, 10 days from RP funding, getting the application, going through all the processes that Robert's talked about so far in the show and getting these people to the closing table in just 10 days using all new regulations. So when you hear of people talking about TRID, smile, laugh, and just tell them, if you've got a problem with TRID, call RP funding, they'll walk you through it. All right. 855-773-8634. Okay, Robert, let's get back to the home stretch, forgive the pun, because we're almost owners of homes. Let's go. Yeah, this is one of the stages, probably the most important stage of getting a home loan is when you get to that underwriting process. And this is when we have the new new team member get involved, the underwriter, and their job is to basically take everything that's been put together and verify that it all fits together properly like a puzzle. Okay, their job is really to analyze the documentation and they're looking for holes. You know, uh, one example I'll use is maybe your pay stub says you pay child support, but your application says you do not pay child support, right? Mm -hmm. So these are the types of things underwriters are looking for, and this is their job. Their job is to take the the application and the work that was done by the mortgage processor and the mortgage originator and now basically put it together like a puzzle, but they're looking for the missing link. They're looking for the the little thing we weren't told about. And so a lot of times once the underwriter does their job, they're going to go back and have a few extra questions, a few final questions for the home buyer. So don't get, don't panic. Don't get upset. This is going to happen. 
And what happens is underwriting is always later in the process because the underwriter can't even start their their assessment until we have everything else from you. Mm -hmm. So we have to gather up all the documentation we're going to need, the tax returns, the W-2s, the pay stubs. We have to get the credit report. We have to get the appraisal in. We have to take all this data and put it together. And the underwriter's job is to break it down and figure out if there are any holes. And so what happens is if your loan is going to fall apart, it's most likely going to fall apart during the underwriting stage because this is when the basically the forensic auditor gets in there looking for problems. So a lot of people have a negative connotation about the underwriter. They're afraid of the underwriting process. Uh, what I will tell you is when we started doing more due diligence at RP Funding up front, we cut the number of loans that our underwriters denied by 75%. Okay? Wow. So what this meant was is it wasn't the underwriters were finding true missing pieces. It was that we weren't doing enough due diligence up front, mm-hmm. and most mortgage companies do not. So we now decline that many fewer loans in the rest of the mortgage industry because we've changed our process to do more due diligence up front. But when you do get into that underwriting stage, it's important to understand that if you have taken out any new debts, they're going to find out. All right. If you are borrowing the money instead of getting it as a gift or if it's not really your money, they're going to find out. If maybe this home is not really your primary residence and you know, you're saying you're buying it to live in, but in reality, you're going to make it a rental property, they will be the one to figure that out. This is their job. This is mm-hmm. what they do. They are masters of it. It's an art form. So that's the problem. If you're trying to hide anything, when you get into underwriting, it will be discovered. Can we go back to the one one item that you mentioned that I know we're going to talk about in other programs as well, but it is so important. Once somebody gets in that euphoric high of, hey, we qualify for a $290,000 house, one of the first things that they're inclined to do is run out to a furniture store or run down to Colonial and buy a car. That's right. <laughs> is that good or bad? Yeah, so underwriters, ha- underwriters have tools where they can go see who has pulled your credit, right? So even if you haven't, bought the furniture yet, the underwriter can find out that you were at rooms to go and had your credit pulled because you were thinking about getting credit. And that they, can change the whole time, Absolutely. Right? They, they know you were down at that new car dealership and had your credit pulled by the local Chevy dealer, and you're probably <laughs> buying a new car. And the underwriter will ask these questions. So it's important as you're going through the home buying process, don't take out any new debt. Don't have anyone pull your credit. Don't even start shopping for new debt. Save all that until after you move in. Because right up until that day of closing, anything you do can still derail the process. All right. If you quit making your payments, if you go out and take on new payments, new debts, new cars, new furniture before that closing date, even the day before we, we had one client, he was closing on a Monday and he went out and bought a brand new big truck on Saturday. Oh no! And so we ended up, we weren't able to close the deal. We had to completely restructure everything. We had to move him from a conventional loan to an FHA loan. And he's like, how did you find out? Well, we found out. That's our job, right? So even if it's one day before, don't think just because it's the Sunday before you're closing on Monday that nobody's going to find out. We will find out. We get alerts. We monitor these things. We have to know that right up until the day of closing, your financial situation has not changed. If you lose your job the day before closing, the underwriter is going to figure that out because they're going to call your employer the day of closing to make sure you're still there. And if you quit your job, that's not our fault. It's not our fault that the day of closing, we're going to turn down your loan if you quit your job the day of closing. Right, So the underwriter's job is to find all this out and fit these pieces together. So my advice to a homeowner is when you get to the underwriting stage, if you've been upfront and honest about everything in your application and nothing has changed, you haven't bought any new furniture or cars, you haven't quit your job, nothing like that's going on, you haven't bought another house that you didn't tell us about, you know, these things happen, Rob, you're going to be fine in underwriting. The underwriter may come back for a little bit of additional documentation. They may have you, you know, dot a couple I's and cross a couple T's. But in the end, they're there to just make sure the puzzle fits together properly uh, so that your loan can then be closed and funded and guaranteed and insured and everything we have to do on the back end. It's part of the homeownership process and mortgage process here in the United States. Wow. So it's not a very complicated thing. It's actually just crossing the T's, dotting the I's, so that at the closing, everybody smiles and walks away yeah. happy. And I'll tell you, these these underwriters, they are it is an art form and they are good at it. They, they can sniff out, you know, like, like they'll notice that maybe one of your pay stubs had a different address on it. And now they're they're going into public records saying, well, what is this house? You didn't tell us about this house. Oh, the, he, you own this house, and this house has a private mortgage on it. And you know they start pulling at these threads and figuring things out. You know, or, or maybe your your tax return last year had a different address on it, or maybe your W two last year had a different employer name on it. Maybe it's the same company. Maybe it's not. You know, these are all the things they're there to figure out. Uh, maybe your bank statements don't add up. You know, maybe we've had people try to forge up their bank statements. Maybe mm-hmm. that bank statement isn't really yours. You know, they look at all these things and, and they want to make sure that your name and your address and that your account number and everything is on that bank statement because they have to then match that up. They have to take the address you give us on your application and compare it to the addresses you give us on your pay stubs and your W-2s and your tax return address and your bank statement address and your homeowner's insurance address. That's another big one. They may get your, your insurance. You may tell us you're going to live in this house, 
Well, then you tell your insurance company you want a renter's policy because you're going to have a tenant in it. The underwriter is going to pick up on that. Uh -huh. You're going to have a problem. So this is their job. This is what they do. Again, it's unfortunate. There are bad apples out there. There are people out there who want to beat the system. They want to commit mortgage fraud, which is a federal offense, punishable by $50,000 in fines and up to 10 years in prison. It is a serious thing. Uh, and their job is to look for that fraud, look for those pieces that don't fit together, and make sure that we are only making loans to qualified borrowers who meet our criteria. You know, Robert, I think it's during the underwriting stage and the documentation stage that people get a little bit frustrated. Have you noticed that? And and it's almost like somebody will, you know, somebody will answer the phone and it will be a documentation or underwriting person. And they'll say, we're just trying to clear up a few things. And that's when the person almost gets a little defensive and feels like, why have I answered this question before? But basically, folks, it's not somebody trying to complicate things. It's the fact that the mortgage industry is very stringent, especially since the meltdown in 2008. So if you get a call from the mortgage company and it's somebody in underwriting or documentation, they're on your side. They're simply trying to get the loan processed quick enough for you to close on time. But if there's a discrepancy in there, that discrepancy must be clarified. So please try not to get frustrated. I know that sometimes if you have to answer a question two or three times, you're going, I've already answered that question. But again, if there's a discrepancy between two numbers, an address, say Mr. or Ms., whatever it might be, it's got to be clarified so it can pass muster and it can go through the legal mortgage process. Simple as that. Okay. So just kind of keep that in mind. Everybody's got their job to do and they're on, they're working for you, especially the folks at RP funding. They're working on your behalf, but they got to make sure that the I's are dotted, T's are crossed, where there's a period of semicolon, everything has got to match. Okay. It's just that technical of, of an operation. But if you go with the mortgage company, that's there to represent you and not just take your money, they're going to walk you through it. And that's what they do at RP Funding. They will walk you through it. One of the things, Robert, I want to go back to is once we've made the decision to buy a home, okay, and we've made some phone calls and we've talked to some realtors, we really need to make sure that before we talk to the realtor that we pick the right mortgage company. Yeah, Rob, I'll tell you, it's, it's probably one of the more difficult things to do. And recent government studies have shown that very few people, uh, you know, they only talk to one lender. And in most cases, the lender they talk to is the lender their real estate agent recommended. Mm -hmm. And in a lot of cases, real estate agents are against the idea of their client shopping around. And it's not because they want to take advantage of the client. It's not because they have any anything bad going on. It's because they've all had an experience in the past where a client went out and found a better deal, but then that lender dropped the ball and it didn't close. And so real estate agents feel notoriously like the lenders with good deals in their mind are going to have bad service. They're not going to close on time. They're going to screw up the deal. That's kind of the feeling. And so I know we, we dealt with this. And we first opened at RP Funding, and I offered no lender fees. And we had our, our $1,000 best deal guarantee and all these things. Certain real estate agents who had never met us were saying, oh, my God, they, this must be another big online lender, and, and they're not going to close on time, and we don't want our clients to use them. And we've had to spend a lot of time showing the real estate community that we do close on time and that we do take care of our clients. So real estate agents are against the idea of shopping because there are these lenders out there who underprice their products or they bait and switch the client and then they do not close on time. It happens all the time. So when you're shopping as a home buyer, you have to do two things. You have to, one, find a couple of lenders who are reputable and credible and who will close you on time, and then shop between them, okay? Because there's always some clown working out of his basement in New York or California or wherever who will give you an offer that sounds too good to be true, and it probably is. And we see this all the time, Rob, because we have our $1,000 best deal guarantee. So the way this works is, I'm so confident we're going to give you the best deal. If you find a better deal somewhere else, I'm either going to beat it or I'm going to give you $1,000. So I would say a couple times a week, we see a deal that we think is too good to be true, and we do not beat it. We tell the client, you know what? When this guy closes under these terms, I'm going to write you a check for $1,000 because I think this is too good to be true. I think this is a bait and switch. I think you're going to pay in the end. I wish you would reconsider, but I understand you believe this to be true, so you're going to go with it. And then when we call them back a month or two later and say, hey, just checking in, do we need to write you that $1,000 check? Nine out of 10 times, the answer is no, because what happened is they got bait and switched. The deal never closed. The deal they thought they were going to get is not the deal they got. Now, occasionally, there is that one out of 10 where they do find the better deal, and they do close on the better deal, and we write them that check. We pay the $1,000. I've written probably two dozen checks. But most of the time, nine out of 10 times, what they find is that the deal they were offered was too good to be true. And the way lenders do this is they do not lock your rate in. The rate lock 
is the mechanism that the lender can use to bait and switch you. Okay. So what happens is they quote you a rate today. Well, today I'm going to give you X rate, but we're not going to lock that rate in. Well, why not? That sounds like a great rate. I'd like to lock that rate in. No, no, we shouldn't lock that rate in because I think rates are going to get even better. And so we're going to float your rate. We're not going to lock your rate in. And then two days before closing, when it comes time to lock your rate in, all of a sudden rates are much, much worse. Yeah. Oh, I know I told you X, but nope, rates are much, much worse. Whether rates actually got worse or not, they will tell you that it's got worse. Sure. And they can because you never made them lock your rate in. So one important thing is if you are shopping around for a mortgage, make sure that every company you are talking to is willing and ready to lock your rate in that day and lock the rate. Don't play the float game. When a consumer plays the float game, it moves all the power back to the lender because two days before closing, they can tell you whatever they want and you can't do anything about it or else you risk losing your new home, okay? Mm -hmm. So make sure you're getting locked in up front. Make sure you have a rate lock. Some lenders will tell you, oh, we can't lock your rate until we get the appraisal back. Hang up the phone, call a different lender. Oh, we can't lock your rate until after the underwriter sees your file. Hang up the phone and call a different lender. These are all gimmicks and tactics used because it allows them to legally bait and switch you. You see, the bait and switch is illegal in the mortgage business. They can't change the fees, and once they issue a rate lock commitment, they can't change the rate. But if you don't get a rate lock, if you agree to float... You've now given them a license to bait and switch you on your mortgage. Well, folks, there you have it. You've gone through the entire home buying process. Now you're ready to get the keys, go to the house, put your furniture in it, put a nail in the wall, put up a swing set in the backyard, put up a fence, go meet your neighbors, whatever it is, because now you're a homeowner. Note the date that you're hearing this program because some stations air our programs at different times. So note that. So when you want to go to savingthousands.com, you can select the show that you want to hear if you want to hear this show over and over and over again. Or maybe you just want to make sure that one of your friends can log on to savingthousands.com. They will have to spell out the word thousands, savingthousands.com, and log in to the show and just note the date, okay? So they can repeat. They can hear this show as much as they want. They can go back to our archives. They can play it on demand. And don't forget, folks, that all of Saving Thousands Radio and all of SavingThousands.com, everything there is free. We are not trying to get you to buy anything. You'll notice that there are no ads on our part during the radio show, and there's no ads on the websites. It's simply information designed for you. It's as simple as that. There's no hidden agenda. There's no hidden fees. It's all about getting you the information you need so that when you go to make a purchase, you are so ready. You are so assured. You're kind of like that one commercial that comes on now where the person walks into the car dealership and just pulls out the chair and takes over. Well, you can do that every day. And don't forget, helping you do that in the Saving Thousands website is a little thing we call the rule. The Saving Thousands Rules to Success. Go ahead, go online as quickly as you can. When you get to savingthousands.com, look at the top of the page, click on the rules. Those 15 rules are your GPS to get you from where you are today to where you want to be monetarily. You want to go from the credit score you're in now to the 700s, follow those directions, follow the Saving Thousands rules, and you'll be there before you know it. And all the while, we're all Saving Thousands with Robert Palmer. 